Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning. Hey, before we jump into this episode, I've got to ask, have you signed up for the free standards-based grading webinar taking place on September 20th, 2023 at 7 p.m. Eastern time? This 90-minute webinar is perfect for those of you just wanting to get a little bit more information about what standards-based grading is. Whether you're in a school that's already adopted SBG and just need to tweak it, or if you are in a school or district that is traditional, ABCs, 100-point scales, and you're looking at taking things to the next level, and you want to make sure that you know what your kids know, sign up for this 90-minute webinar completely free, no strings attached. Just click the link in the show notes, follow me on Facebook and click the event, sign up, bring some friends, bring some family, bring some colleagues, bring some popcorn and your favorite drink. We'll see you there. Hi, and welcome back to Lasting Learning. This is Dave Schmidt, and uh, this episode's gonna be a little bit different. During the summer months of 2023, I'm offering some free professional learning to you. This summer, I'm going to be releasing special episodes. It's basically going to be an audio book. I'm going to read to you my book, Bold Humility. Bold Humility was first published five years ago. And as a result of that five-year anniversary, I decided to make it available to you, my listeners, this summer. Now, these recordings are not going to be evergreen. They're not going to be out there forever. They are only going to be out for a limited time. So make sure you listen. Make sure you share. Make sure you're willing to grow. Here we go. Bold humility. Chapter four. It's nice meeting you. I went into a classroom the other day and observed an amazingly organized teacher. She had folders for everything. She had shelves for incoming work and shelves for outgoing work. She had her students taking attendance and had students passing out technology. To stay, to say she was efficient would be an understatement. Near the front of her room, this teacher had a folder clipped to the whiteboard with a magnet labeled absent work. Intrigued by this, I took a closer look and found packets of worksheets labeled with students' names so that those who were not in attendance that day could grab a packet when they returned. Actually writing the names on the packet was the job of another student in class who worked alongside the attendance recorder. Although this was extremely efficient, let me say this, teachers, if all a student has to do is do some makeup work when he's absent, your lesson plans may need a rewrite. Last month, I went to do some consultant work at a school in the desert southwest. The school was new. It had technology galore. It was filled with a passionate and energetic teaching staff. On the day of my visit, I had the opportunity to speak with the building principal observe multiple classrooms, provide feedback, and attend an after-school staff meeting. One of the celebrations that that the principal of the school shared with me was that his staff meetings were no longer business meetings. They were now professional development opportunities. To culminate my visit, he wanted me to attend one of his meetings and observe the outcome. Just before walking to the cafeteria, the setting for the meeting, the principal was stopped in the hall by a teacher, a history teacher, who I'd observed earlier in the day. The teacher wanted to remind the principal that she would not be attending the staff meeting because she had to take her spouse to the airport that evening. The caring and understanding principal excused the teacher and said, just swing by my office tomorrow morning. I'll give you a five-minute summary of all that we cover. Although this was extremely compassionate and generous, let me say this. Principals, if you can hold a five-minute makeup staff meeting, 
you should have held a five-minute staff meeting. In my last school, we did away with weekly staff meetings. This was in a school with extremely high needs and a, histor a historical record of being labeled an F by the state accountability standards. I didn't require teachers to stay after school and listen to me share all my wisdom. I didn't require teachers to sit and get. I grew to appreciate that teachers are exhausted at the end of the day. Once kids get on buses to head home, I didn't want my teachers to come see me and think, great, one more meeting. Instead, I tried to value their time so they in turn could feel valued. I wanted to allow teachers to have the afternoon to reflect on the day while it was still fresh. I wanted them to seek out their peers and collaborate, vent, and socialize. I know how tired my own children are at the end of the day and the struggle I, as a parent, endure trying to motivate them to do homework beyond the school day. If I expect high-quality results and high-quality learning, pulling people together when they're most exhausted and asking them to be actively engaged in high-level professional growth activities is probably not my best move. In my school, the decision to eliminate staff meetings was a necessity. The school was a hard place to work. I saw firsthand the exhaustion on my teachers' faces each afternoon. If I wanted to protect them as people and avoid unnecessary burnout, I had to do something different. I could not expect them to teach students all day, to have children as their focus for eight hours, to put out fires, to assess, to instruct, to, to love all day long, and then expect them to be actively engaged in any staff meeting or professional development after school. At the same time, having a building with so many new teachers due to high turnover rates necessitated frequent and regular opportunities for pro professional growth. The solution? Morning huddles. Being a huge sports fan, I often steal both metaphors and strategies from the athletic field and courts. One of the reasons I think I was a successful teacher is because I would often approach lesson planning the same way I would approach game planning. As a coach, my job was to find the unique skills of each player. I would develop systems based on the talents of each kid. At practice, my plans would be based on the performance of previous games. I would study film of my athletes and design drills designed to make each of them better, knowing that with collective individual growth, the team would grow as well. At my school, students arrived early. We were a building where 100% of our students received free breakfast and free lunch. We often had students waiting around before our doors opened, eager to grab the breakfast items prepared for them in the cafeteria, because for too many, the lunch we provided the day before was the last time they ate. The students piled into the building at 6.50 a.m. each morning, making a beeline for the cafeteria, grabbing their bags of breakfast, and then heading to their classrooms to spend the next 15 minutes eating and enjoying the company and conversation of their teacher. This was a critical time of the day. I believe positive personal relationships are key for learning. The beginning of the day is not the time for teachers to scurry around and finish their lesson plans, to make copies, or do general house cleaning. This is the time where teachers need to be present, attentive, and focused on each child. This is a time where teachers can connect with their students on a personal level, can set the stage for engagement and make each child feel valued. To make this happen, teachers must come to work each day prepped and ready to go. During my first two years working in that building, I often found dozens of teachers scurrying around the building from 6.30 to 6.50 a.m., making copies, grading papers, and discussing last-minute plan adaptations. But for many, the scurry would rarely end at 6.50, even as kids were entering. Students would walk into the room, sit at their desk, begin eating, and rarely be greeted or engaged by the teacher until class officially started at 7.10 or beyond. Using the last 10 minutes to prepare and plan was never enough time, and it always spilled into some of the most valuable time of the school day. Like most things, though, this was not just a teacher issue. It was a me issue. This is a result of my leadership and what I modeled, and so, after some reflection, I decided I had to change my own daily schedule as well. Each day, 
my cell phone wakes me up at 4 a.m. Because nothing highlights your priorities quite like your schedule. That alarm notifies me that it's time to get up, get dressed, and go for a run in the dark streets of my neighborhood. I carry a flashlight, strap on my phone, lace up my shoes, and put three to five miles on my feet every single morning. Do I like waking up this early? No, I actually hate it. Do I like running? No, my legs hurt constantly. But I also know that if I wait until later in the day to work out, life will get in the way and a thousand excuses will hijack my plans. I could pick another workout routine, but running allows for easy progress monitoring and limited excuses relating to costs, weather, and availability. I shower, eat breakfast, and arrive at my building by 5.45 each morning. I turn on my computer, turn on the lights throughout my building, pray at the flagpole, and attempt to greet each staff member as they arrive. This is only possible because each afternoon, I wrap up my day by planning with an intentional focus on the start of the next day. When I arrive in the morning, I don't check my email until after the morning huddle, knowing that doing so will leave me with dozens of tasks that will be presented as urgent and requiring immediate attention. I work to make my priority each morning my staff. I want them to feel valued and for each huddle to be relevant to their needs and who they are as people. If I expect my teachers to plan ahead, to be in the moment, and to focus on the learners then, that is exactly what I must model. Sure, I've had off days. I've had days where I've hit the snooze button, where I might have overslept, or where I came in a little later and less than planned or prepared. But I can also guarantee that each time this happened, I spent the rest of the day trying to play catch up. Each time I try to steal a few extra minutes of sleep, I spend hours trying to make up for it. If I skip a morning run, I spend the afternoon feeling even more sluggish than I otherwise would have. If I spend my morning putting the final touches on the day's plans instead of greeting teachers, then my focus for the day tends to be on the work and not where it should be on the people. As a leader of my school, I recognize that the same struggle often exists with my teachers. Providing them with a focused process to begin each day is possibly the best leadership strategy I've ever developed. Huddles became our game changer, not just because of what was shared each morning, but because of everything else that's impacted as a result of this intentional time together. Huddle up. If you get the chance to watch a football game this fall, take a look at what takes place in the huddle before each offensive play. Here's what you'll see. The quarterback, the leader of the offense, will often look to the sidelines where those in charge of the game plan are standing. Using their analysis of what plays have worked in the past and their goals for the future, the coaches will signal the next play, a play that they expect to work, that they expect will result in success, even though the reality is not every play results in a touchdown. Some are complete busts, resulting in turnovers or sacks. Some bring about relatively short gains, while some do send the team running down the field towards the goal. Because each player is often focused on his unique position and responsibilities, he may not see the full picture. Having a coach call in a play that allows for each player to do his part to attempt to bring about team success is where a huddle begins. In the huddle, the quarterback is responsible for articulating the plays to each player, bringing all the players together, looking them in the eyes, and sending them off with a clearly articulated plan as necessary. In many huddles, as the play is outlined, one or two players may break out early to get into position, while others may linger a moment longer to gain clarity. Huddles slow down the action. Put everyone in a position to succeed. Bring the game plan back into focus and help the team move forward by analyzing past performance. All of this is needed in schools today, too. Here's how my huddles work. My personal cell phone is set up with a number of alarms. I have an alarm telling me when to wake up, when to run, when to greet teachers, and when to start and stop my huddles. Having a quote-unquote play clock for these daily meetings is extremely important. A 10-minute meeting, huddle, every single day may seem like a lot of time for communication, 
but if not used wisely, this can turn into a time-wasting activity. I do not take attendance at my huddles. I do not pass out papers. I do not do any managerial tasks during these 10 minutes. Instead, at exactly 6.30 a.m., I began playing a playlist fil filled with upbeat music that's broadcast throughout the sound system of our cafeteria. Michael Jackson, Bobby McFerrin, etc. When my alarm goes off 10 minutes later, at exactly 6.40, I greet my staff with an excited, Good morning, everyone! If I start late, staff will show up late. If we don't jump right into the heart of learning, value is lost and everyone will find other ways to fill the time. In a football game, the quarterback can't wait for a lineman to walk back to the line of scrimmage at his own pace. He has to be ready to lead the huddle as soon as the play is called and expects the other 10 men on his team to be ready when he is. The 10 minutes of our morning huddles was split into four distinct sections. As a group, we spent the first two minutes celebrating the success of our peers. We demanded risk-taking and had high expectations for each staff member to go big. The first two minutes of each meeting was a celebration of risks. Last summer, when scrolling through items on the Oriental Trade Company website, just looking for small little trinkets and prizes, I stumbled upon a game-changing purchase. As a school filled with pirate teachers, thank you, Dave Burgess and Quinn Rollins, we didn't pride ourselves for looking for hidden treasures with, and our willingness to take a chance in pursuit of our greatness. While on the OTC website, I found items we now refer to as brag tags. In essence, these are dog tags with a variety of pirate symbols emblazoned onto each tag. I purchased 200 of them thinking my staff would be able to honor each other at morning meetings by bestowing tags to each other as they recognized risk tanking and tried to honor it. What happened far surpassed my expectations. Staff honored each other and as a result, inspired each other. Much like innovation occurring in the 1990s in Silicon Valley, where tech moguls worked to enhance and build on the ideas of others at an exponential rate, staff members heard the ideas of others and not only stole them for, them for themselves, but worked to make them better. By allowing staff members to wear their brag tags daily along with their staff ID badges, students were able to see staff who were being honored for being innovative and often would ask their teachers how they earned it. The ensuing conversation then encouraged student risk-taking by modeling and celebrating at the teacher end. I'm proud to say in year one, we ran out of the initial 200 brag tags ordered by the end of the first semester. Not only were staff eager to celebrate each other, they were actively searching for risk-taking among their peers, opening their doors to others to celebrate what was happening in their rooms, and they began showing up on, on time each morning to see if they were being honored or to honor their peers. On the rare occasion that there was no celebration being called for by any of the 75 staff members in attendance, I was sure to have one or two successes to highlight in my back pocket, ready to honor those that I observed. I was careful not to share this every day, as that would create a new expectation. There's real value in having staff find value in each other, recognizing greatness in each other, and not just doing a dog and pony show for the boss in an attempt to earn a 25-cent trinket. If I found people to celebrate every day, people would simply wait for me to pay the tribute. The value came from teachers not only validating each other, but in searching for reasons to validate each other. The next four minutes of each huddle, no more than that, were utilized for a brief professional development moment. We covered standardized grading, classroom management, parent communication, etc. Keeping our time to four minutes served so many purposes. Much like the children they educate, teachers have extremely short attention spans. Keeping things short and focused allowed for more fruit to develop than dragging out PD into a two-hour after-school meeting. As a professional public speaker, keeping things to four minutes is also extremely valuable to me. It forces me to focus on the focus, to pay attention to the key points and not drag things out to hear myself speak. If I'm able to take large concepts and synthesize them down into bite-sized nuggets, then I force myself to really know the material being presented as well. I'm not going to lie, four minutes was a tight time constraint, but it was doable. 
If I plan to model a pedagogical strategy, being able to fit it into a tight timeline required me to really reflect, brainstorm, and solicit the input of others. If a professional football team can get 11 men to gather into a circle, have each un understand their unique responsibility, get back to the line, and hike a ball in under 40 seconds, I should be able to get a group of professional educators together for four minutes and give them enough knowledge to enhance their performance. The next two minutes of the huddle were an opportunity to reflect on the days prior. When I first began huddles, reflections were how each meeting began. I thought it was essential to begin each meeting by reviewing where we were and to analyze successes and failures from the day before. After about two weeks of this, though, I decided to change course. The reason was simple. This became all we did for each meeting. We never moved forward. Schools are notorious for living in the past. Reflection is critical, but reflection is not the same thing as reminiscing, complaining, or telling stories. Reflection helps us grow if we're able to take a critical look at where we are and either celebrate or improve. Bringing reflection to the last half of our huddles allowed us to make connections from where we were to what we had just learned. This was a key step to moving forward. Sometimes the reflection was simply a recap of an evolved practice. Sometimes it was an online survey where staff got to share where they were, where they needed to go. We use a variety of protocols, each with their own pros and cons. None, though, took more than two minutes because the last two minutes were the most critical of the entire meeting. Each huddle adjourned with a challenge. Just as Tom Brady and Russell Wilson inspired their teams with a hand clap, a chant of their team names, or simple high fives, the huddle inspired action. After a huddle, football teams then stepped to the line, hiked the ball, and implement what was just discussed. The coaches watch, analyze, and then plan for the next steps, depending on the result. Having a huddle just to huddle is a waste of time. The final two minutes of each morning huddle at my school was where we discussed the day's look-fors. It's where we stated what staff members should be prepared to do to achieve success and what we would be reflecting on in the future. We provided challenges to, to teachers to make them step out of their comfort zone and try something new. Often, the challenges were related to our four minutes of professional learning, but sometimes they were designed to just keep, the, to keep pedagogical swords sharp. But those are a brief lift of some of the challenges that teachers were presented with. Provide 50 hugs to 50 different kids. Use no paper. Do not use anything that has to be plugged in. Take your class outside of your classroom. Celebrate success all day and provide no negative reinforcement. Switch rooms with a peer. Wear a costume. Use Play-Doh or Legos to teach the concept. So on and so forth. With each new learning, we were inspired to try something new. What we discovered was that no challenge was a silver bullet or magic pill, but each inspired us to stretch and grow by taking us out of our comfort zone and making us expand our instructional repertoire. Like an athlete who goes for a run daily in order to try and build strength and speed learns, he has to work in some cross-training, some hills, and some speed workouts to improve. He can plot along, putting in the miles every day on the same track, but eventually he'll plateau. In order to keep getting better, he has to change things up every once in a while. The same is true with us as teachers. We can stick to our routine to be comfortable, but if we want to really see greatness and constant improvement, we need to add a little variety to stretch our abilities and become the strongest teachers we can. Grace is helping others know you'll always pick them up when they fall down. Pride is acting like you never fail. In the Beginning by Emily Leach, a teacher from Michigan. Early in my teaching career, I received my yearly evaluation for the first time from my assistant principal. The evaluation was based on a single class period observation using a rubric that was unknown to me. The class she observed was an engineering elective that was new to both me and the school. For my lesson, I designed a web quest for the students to do in groups on the principles of engineering while I pulled groups into the hall to test the racers they had created using the engineering design method. I was proud of my choice of activities to, to display for my observation, 
I had students up and moving, doing hands-on learning and working groups. The lesson also showed off my tech-savvy skills and ability to have multiple things going on in my classroom at once. I thought this was all pretty impressive for a new teacher. I really put myself out there to do a non-traditional lesson, and I was certain it would pay off. I was wrong. A few weeks later, I received my official evaluation write-up. I was given the rating of minimally effective. Among the list of areas I could improve in were the students were talking too much. I needed a longer tape measure for testing the racers, and my classroom management was poor. Needless to say, I was devastated. I defended my lesson by explaining that the students were working in groups, so of course they'd be talking, and that I didn't know that we had a longer tape measure in the school. I wasn't aware of the ones that we use in track and field, for example. As for the poor classroom management piece, I was given an audio version of the Harry Wong classic, The First Days of School, to listen to. As a result of this entire experience, I was never able to accept any sort of feedback from this administrator for the rest of my time that she was in my building. My trust in her was irreparably damaged. As a new teacher, I'd been in an extremely vulnerable position. It took me a long time to recover from that experience. Looking back, I realized I did learn something about teaching from the whole debacle. I'm always encouraging my students to take risks with their learning, and I would never want them to have the same feelings towards me that I did towards my administrator. As a result, I do my best to treat my students with respect, individuality, and sensitivity. Feedback is critical to growth, but before it can be received, trust has to be earned. Bold next steps. One, identify a meeting or committee that's in existence simply because it has always been there and eliminate it. Today, you don't need to offer an explanation, just announce that it's done. Two, find a way to celebrate risk-taking. Don't blow smoke and set the stage that everyone needs an award. Watering it down will bring about watered-down results. State that everyone can achieve success, but then set the bar high and celebrate any time someone attempts to reach it, even if they fail miserably. Three, challenge yourself. Publicly state a big goal that you, that you have and that will stretch you. If you can't think of one, solicit feedback from others. Then share your success, and more importantly, your struggles, as you relentlessly pursue success. That concludes this episode of Lasting Learning. Want to learn more? Contact me at schmidto.net. Want to read more or listen to more of this audio book? Just come on back. More Bold Humility will be coming soon.